If one of the hardest things to figure out these days is what to watch next, first of all, congrats. Second of all, you should check out HBO Max. Discover something new to watch on HBO Max like Lovecraft Country, the new HBO series from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams that's got everyone buzzing. Plus, HBO Max is the only place you'll find new binge-worthy Max originals like Selena Gomez's new cooking show. You heard that right, Selena Gomez's Learning to Cook, from some of the world's best chefs, no less. Find your next favorite all in one place on HBO Max. Start streaming today, download the app, or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. Charlie, today is very exciting. We have a two-part episode. In the first half, we're going to introduce a new segment called The Doctors Are In. (laughs) Okay. Where we diagnose listeners' musical maladies. (laughs) (laughs) Great. And in the second half, uh, we are going to be joined by a very special guest, the brilliant author Hanif Abdurraqib to talk about one of our favorite pop stars, Carly Rae Jepsen. Oh, fantastic. So this is an episode of pure pop here because for our first segment, the doctors are in. Wait, do we need some sort of like uh, theme music? I think we could use some theme music and I've cooked <laughs> a little something up in in the lab, uh, hopefully with the right amount of cheese and 80s to do this segment justice. Oh my gosh. You, you, you just, you, you tickle me. Thank you. Okay, so the doctors are in. Now, let's have a disclaimer first. I am a doctor of musicology. I am not a doctor, but I pretend to be. No, you're not. You're kind of a, a Dr. Nick type doc. You're like, not, your certification is not totally above board. You're like the Michael Cohen of doctors. Armchair. Um <laughs> But, you know, nevertheless, we trust you. Low blow. In this, <laughs> in this segment, uh, you know, we get a lot of emails, uh, tweets from listeners who are experiencing some kind of uh, musicological malady. No. And I thought we could help them using our expertise here. Great. And two people are actually suffering from the same malady. And it has to do with a song by Charlie Puth called... Boy. I'm, I'm not surprised. Let's just take a listen to the chorus of this infectious, literally, song. So before we give our diagnosis, let's hear the symptoms, okay? Sure. And this was brought to our attention first by Ciara Tomlinson, who writes, quote, It would be awesome to hear your take on Boy. It is the most mind-boggling song on the album for me. Hmm. Because the first time I heard it, I wasn't sure if I liked it. Because everything seemed either a second too long or too short. Yeah. But after the third or so listen, I am sold. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then another email from Kevin Welsh. He says... Like all Puth songs, it's catchy as heck, but it's got a weird tempo going on. It starts with him singing in 4-4 four, four over 3-4 beat. 
I think that's real music theory, but I don't know. <laughs> it's boggling and sort of unprecedented in pop. Hmm. So two people are boggled by this song. <laughs> As they should be. And I think in order to understand the boggling aspect of it, we need to listen to the very beginning of the track. Yes. Trying to lock me down And I always up and leave Before the first time in a while I want to throw away the key mm, Good stuff, yes. I think I know why they are feeling so ill. Yes, okay, good. So you have a diagnosis for us, Charlie. I do. Why we're feeling so boggled by this song. I think we have a severe case of downbeat deception. Whoa, that sounds dire. It's not dire, it's recoverable, but I think we have to at least understand what's going on in order to get ourselves back on the beat, if you will. Ooh, yes, yes, good, because I, I know what they mean. I feel something a little off when I'm listening to this, and I want to understand what it is. It's all about where the downbeat of the song is playing. You think that the downbeat of the song is happening in one place, but it's actually happening in another. We know the downbeat is the most emphasized beat of a measure of music. When you count out one, two, three, four, the downbeat is the one. It's where you dance. It's where you step. It's where you clap, right? Mm. And usually the downbeat is unambiguous because you don't want people to be confused about where to jump up and down. That would be an unsuccessful pop song. <laughs> right. But when the song Boy starts, it sounds pretty obvious where the downbeat should be. Right. We think. From the start, we hear this really great synth sound, and I'll add a beat with a clap on the downbeat to show you how the downbeat begins in the song, or at least as we think it does. Ah, okay, the, the deception. Then the vocal comes in, and I think you can hear that everything quickly starts to just feel off. Right. By the time the full drums come in, it's clear that something sounds unambiguously wrong. Yeah, I don't like that. That's making me uncomfortable. Yeah, it's clear that something is wrong in the rhythm, and it's wrong because we started counting in the wrong place. But Puth isn't making some sort of mistake here. He's intentionally playing with us to grab our attention. And I have a whole theory about that that I'll share later. But for now, let's just focus on this downbeat deception. If we had been paying close attention, we should have noticed that we were counting the whole thing totally wrong. Uh, Did you catch the clue that he left for us? The clue? There is a clue. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I didn't see the clue. It's the hi-hat that enters into the song very early on. Right, right, that, that, that subtle percussion in the background of this beginning verse. And you can hear that the hi-hat has an emphasis on beats two and four, much like where the snare usually comes in. One, two, three, four. And so we can use this information to get a sense of where the downbeat should be. And it's not where we originally think it is. Now, this clue is really, really subtle. So what I want to do is slow things down so that everyone can hear, really, really hear what's going on. Yeah, this is kind of a heady condition to, to deal with. <laughs> yeah, here. It is. So it is I like totally. that. Let's 
Let's slow it down, take a sonogram. Yeah. Let's get in deep. Yeah, let's, we want to be sure about our diagnosis. So the first time that we hear the synthesizer, it's all by itself and playing out a full measure of four notes. You can count it out. One, two, three, four. So it would seem like each time that it comes in, the synth is playing on the downbeat, right on the one. But this is where we are wrong. Mm-hmm. Because when we add the hi-hat, into our beat the two aren't playing together so we have to choose which one to trust is it the hi-hat or the synth that is establishing the downbeat let's zoom in on this to hear the difference to make it really audible i'm gonna put claps every time the synthesizer hits a kick drum on the downbeat and quarter notes and we'll keep the hi-hat in there as well and i'll play it really slowly so if it were the synth that we're establishing our downbeat, we would hear it like this. And that's how I think we hear it when the song starts. We don't have any other information to tell us otherwise. Exactly. But if it's the hi-hat that's establishing the downbeat, we would hear the song like this. Ooh, that is a very small difference. Yeah, but which one sounds more natural? Without any other information, it would be the first. Right, and this is where things get tricky, because the first does sound, at a bass level, more appealing. But if you know something about drums, you know that the hi-hat is usually used in pop and rock drumming to count every single beat, so that when the kick and the snare can kind of play around and syncopate and make things more interesting, the hi-hat always just counts one, two, three, four, or some division of that to keep things all in time. Right. So in this case, I think what we need to do is to trust the hi-hat. And really the only way to know if our diagnosis is correct, if the hi-hat is actually where the beat is, we'd have to move forward into the song, as you said, to hear more material, get more information, see if this actually makes sense in context to the larger piece. So let's again listen to Charlie Puth's first verse vocal mm-hmm. with the beat established by the hi-hat. So I'm going to add in a beat here. Maybe you can hear that suddenly everything starts to align a little bit better, right? The first time we heard it, it was like things were kind of clashing, and now things are starting to come together. Mm. We can really hear it by the time we move forward and the rest of the instruments start to come in. It just clicks. Yeah, I don't feel that same discomfort anymore. Right, I'll play the discomforting version. Yeah, yeah, right. That's not quite, not quite. The discomforting version is how we first hear that downbeat, the deceived downbeat, because we were counting to the synth, not to the hi-hat. What's happening here is a great trick. It's actually that the synthesizer is anticipating the downbeat of the song. It's being played just a fraction of a second before the downbeat, and that's what's confusing us. When the song starts, all we have is the synthesizer, right? We don't hear that anticipation in relationship to anything else and the drums, the vocal, whatever. And so we first start counting with the synthesizer. And then only when everything else comes in do we realize we're actually ahead of the beat. Yeah. 
Wow, Charlie, yes, that was some Sanjay Gupta level <laughs> medical analysis right there. Okay, it's starting to come together. At the beginning, yeah. we're fooled, essentially, yes. into thinking the downbeat is in one place by having incomplete information. Yes. And then as we get more information, the hi-hat presents this alternate downbeat theory, then our brain has to slowly transition. We have to catch up. Right, and it's very disorienting. Yeah, I think this is exactly the issue that Ciara, our listener, is dealing with, which is that things just kind of feel off. There's this clashing that's happening because she's probably counting and feeling the natural rhythm of the song one way at the beginning, and by the time all the other instruments come in, you're now counting in the wrong spot because you were deceived from the beginning. Right, and of course, you're making me realize now how Charlie Puth isn't helping us because... Every kind of melodic choice he's making serves to further make this downbeat issue more ambiguous. <laughs> yes, that's true. Because he's really leaning into those false downbeats to, to throw us off. Even just in the synthesizer itself, you feel that emphasis the first time it lands and you're like, mm, it must be where it is. No, you're actually not. You're skipping ahead. You're literally jumping in a moment too soon. Mm. This is great. Can we step back for a second now? Because that was very thorough, and I, I, I'm with you, <laughs> yeah. uh, and hopefully our listeners are too. I think we can see now that the issue here in this Charlie Puth drag is not that things are too long or too short, no. or that there's two different time signatures going on. No. It's that we have this deceptive downbeat that always leaves us kind of disoriented and catching up. Yes. And you know, it wouldn't have been a problem if you had listened to this song just starting right in on the chorus, you would have felt where the drums are sitting. The problem is when you start the song from the very beginning. And so it's really the catching up, which is the problem. <laughs> right. This raises a question. Okay. Now that we've done our, our diagnosis, yeah. why does Charlie Puth use this deceptive downbeat technique in this track? Boy. I told you I had a theory. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm all ears, Dr. Chuck. I think in order to understand what's happening here, we must listen to the chorus. Puth says, you tell me I'm too young, but I gave you what you wanted. Baby, how dare you treat me just like a boy? This song <laughs> right. is all about... Someone is treating Charlie Puth like a boy, and he's trying to say, I am not a boy. I am an adult. And I'm a big boy. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big boy. And I think that what he's doing here is that he is using all of his skillful songwriting techniques to demonstrate that he's actually behind the scenes really quite brilliant. He's not childish. He's not unintentional. Rather, every single choice is being laid out here to actually first deceive us and sort of show off his suave as a big boy. That's my theory. I see. So this deceptive downbeat is an example of the musical sophistication yes. that proves to his lover that he is mature enough to be with them. Yeah, you said it better than I did. And if you think that this theory might be far-flung, we get some more useful information later on when Charlie Puth decides that it's time to take an improvised jazz solo <laughs> which just shouldn't fit into any modern pop music, but we can hear that he is a real virtuoso on his instrument. He's not some little kid. 
it's an attractive theory, Charles. Sure. I have a slightly different one. Oh, please. Which is that this deceptive downbeat creates this kind of tension and a kind mm. of a you know, dissonance, like we were talking about, a sort of rhythmic dissonance. Mm. And you're you're sort of torn between these two downbeats, the one you heard at the beginning that's a little too early, mm-hmm. and the one that you hear at the end that's a, a little too late. <laughs> that could maybe be a metaphor for this May-December relationship. Uh. These downbeats don't line up for the listener just as these two people's lives don't line up Ooh. in the song. Ooh, that's a that's a great diagnosis. Thank you. And I and and I have to credit our our listener Kevin Welsh for that mm. idea. So mm. regardless, there is, you know, more than meets the ear in this Charlie Puth no, song. You, you didn't just say that. <laughs> over and over this young man, this boy, continues to surprise us with his pop chops, but he is not alone in exploiting this technique. In fact, I think it's part of his fealty to the pop musicians that came before him that he's doing this at the beginning of the song because the deceptive downbeat can be found fantastically like in in different musics from all different times and Hmm. and all over the world. Mm -hmm. So I just have a couple examples of this that I want to play you and and really put your diagnostic skills to the test here. And see Great. if you can tell where the downbeat belongs in these Ooh. examples. Ooh, I'm going to be shamed. Okay. <laughs> I'm a guitarist. Guitarists are notoriously bad at rhythm. Uh, <laughs> so I'm likely to count it wrong. Oh, yeah. I mean, guitarists just, you know, stand up there and look good and make, you know, guitar thank you. faces. Thank and, you. Yes. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Let's start with a, with a salsa track actually. Mm, salsa. From the great singer uh, Ismail Miranda. This is one called Recordando, and this is a kind of technique that you hear all the time in salsa music. They love to play with this deceptive downbeat. Let's just listen to the very beginning of Recordando. Okay, Charlie, so now I think the question is, do you hear the downbeat on the very first note of this guitar lick? In which case, I guess it would sound like this if we slow it down a little bit. Da 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 da. Or do you hear the uh, guitar riff as coming in slightly after a downbeat? So we kind of have a phantom downbeat at the beginning, mm. and then the guitar comes in. So that would sound like this. Da 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 da. Ooh, <laughs> that's a very subtle difference. I would have to say it's probably the second because I know that salsa music really likes to play with our sense of time. I played bass in a Afro-Latin jazz band once, and what I learned is that I could never play on the downbeat. I had to play everything but the downbeat. So my guess is that they are moving it around to play with our uh, our sense of time. All right. But it's entirely a guess. It's I don't hear it All that right. way. It's totally an educated guess. Let's have the reveal. We'll listen to the song, and except this time we won't stop it, and we'll see if your guess is borne out. Okay, great. Congratulations, Charlie. <laughs> you are exactly right. Ooh, it's subtle. Ready for round two? Round two. Okay, so this technique can also be found in classic rock. Really? You might know this one, so I, I don't know. Mm. It might it might not be a fair fight, but okay. let's just listen to the very beginning of a song by a little band called The Beatles. <laughs> Ooh, 
That's all you get. This is early stuff. Yeah, yeah. Is this, do you want to be my baby? Uh, no, this is She's a Woman. Mm, early tracks. Okay. Um, so here you have a few options as well. Okay. I think the most likely one is that the downbeat starts with the first guitar note you hear. That would make sense. Which would sound like, bop, 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 bop. That's John Lennon's angular, yep. tense rhythm guitar. But so maybe good. there's something else. It could be something like this, where the guitar happens after each downbeat, in which case it would sound like this. Da, 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 da. Mm, that makes sense. Oftentimes the Beatles would play these sort of stabbed guitar lines on offbeats. I don't know. Maybe you're trying to trick me. I'm going to say it's the first one. Okay, let's have the reveal. We'll play the song and let it keep going. It was a dirty trick, Charlie. <laughs> the downbeat was not aligned with the guitars. It no. was in between each of those guitar strokes, throwing you off kilter in a wonderful way. Can I also say that I'm not sure that those guitar hits were perfectly in time with each other? Uh, were the Beatles ever perfectly in time with each other? No. Debatable. Okay. Now, let's move on to the world of soul music, because mm. this is another place where you'll find this deceptive downbeat technique quite often and i think a nice example comes at the beginning of a song by the late sharon jones mm. and the dap kings this is uh nobody's baby off their album 100 days 100 nights let's just listen to uh, the very beginning of this track which starts with a solo bass line great yeah okay that sounds like i'm right on the beat Okay, so in that case, uh, the downbeat would be in line with the very first note we hear and would sound like this. So, sounds like you're very confident about that guess. <laughs> Let's uh, reveal the rest of the song now and see if, in fact, the downbeat is uh, exactly on the very first note of that bass line. Oh, shit. Oh, man. Isn't that just wonderfully disorienting to listen to? Oh, I feel like it takes five seconds to be like, wait, where am I? <laughs> right. Oh, it's so rewarding. We got a few more here, Charles, because, yep. again, you can just find this everywhere. Let's listen to some new wave now. Let's listen to The Cars Since You're Gone. And <laughs> you have no idea. So once again, I think we expect it to be on the very first note we hear, the downbeat, you know, yep. just lined up perfectly no, no, with those no, no, kind no, no. of yeah. drum hits. Uh, is that actually the case? Of course not. Of course not. At this point, I think you know <laughs> exactly what's going to happen here. <laughs> it just oh, it flips. It's amazing. Yes, they flipped the beat right around, and that brings us to the granddaddy of all downbeat deceptions. <laughs> Are that? you ready, Chuck? Yes. <laughs> Ludwig. <laughs> I hear you, Ludwig. This is the original downbeat deception, because Beethoven makes us think that the very first note we hear is the downbeat, right? Mm -hmm. That it goes, ba-ba-ba-ba. Yep. But in fact, that first note we hear is not a downbeat. It comes right after the downbeat. Yes. Making this 
1808 symphony kind of the predecessor to all of these experiments from the Beatles to Charlie Puth to Salsa to <laughs> Soul. There's no doubt that Beethoven was pretty prog. Well, this has been The Doctors Are In, curing your musical maladies since 2018. <laughs> Let's get that cheesy theme music to play us out. It sounds like this song was almost inspired by Boy, which is all these 90s references. I think you did a really nice job with this track. I'm excited to do more of these bits with you. This is fun. I want to hear more maladies. Yes, send them in. Whatever's affecting you, we will get to the bottom of it. Charlie, that was wonderful breakdown of a pop nugget. And in the second half of this episode, we are going to bring in guest Hanif Abdurraqib to talk about another paragon of pop perfection, Carly Rae Jepsen and her song Cut to the Feeling. So stick around. Searching for what to stream next? HBO Max is where all of HBO meets the greatest collection of movies, shows, and Max originals for everyone in the family. Discover something fresh to watch with new HBO series like Lovecraft Country from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams, or The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. You can also jump into a new Max original like Selena Gomez's new cooking show, Selena and Chef, or The Flight Attendant, a dark new comedic thriller starring Kaylee Cuoco. Ridley Scott's even producing a new series called Raised by Wolves. Whether you want to rewatch classic favorites or finally get into that show your friends have recommended a thousand times, HBO Max has something for everyone. Start streaming today and find your next favorite. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. Support for this podcast comes from the IT experts at CDW, people who get it. At CDW, we get the future workplace works differently. Today's my first day back. Almost forgot what floor we were on. Understandable. But with modern health and safety technology orchestrated by CDW, the future can work better. Technology like thermal screening and occupancy tracking enables employees to walk confidently into the office. Wait, this isn't my floor. Is this even my building? Even if it's been a while. IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash futureofwork. Welcome back to Switched on Pop. I am so excited for uh, our guest today. Will you please introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, I'm Hanif Abdurraqib, writer, poet, essayist from Columbus, Ohio. Hanif is one of the most exciting new voices in music journalism right now. And today what I want to do is take your essay about Carly Rae Jepsen called Carly Rae Jepsen Loves You Back, which reports you're experiencing seeing the pop star at a Terminal 5 concert in New York. I want to take uh, some of your insights into Carly Rae Jepsen's unique pop persona and try and support them with music to understand how Carly Rae Jepsen is a totally unique kind of pop star, one who relies more on unbridled enthusiasm and awkwardness than the kind of knowing distance that so many pop stars have. And I'd love if we could uh, begin, Hanif, by having you read from that essay. This is the difficult work. Convincing a room full of people to set their sadness aside and, for a night, bring out whatever joy remains underneath. In a world where there is so much grief to be had, leading the people to the water and letting them drink from your cupped hands. Inside Terminal 5, 
under the spell of Carly Rae Jepsen. Love is simply love. It is not war. It is not something you are thrown into and forced to survive. It is something you experience, and if you're lucky enough, time slows down. It is not as fashionable as our precious American anguish, our feelings that eclipse all else, but then again, there's a time to throw all else aside and see if maybe dancing will bring us back to life packed so tightly in a room of strangers that everyone becomes one whole body, shaking free whatever is holding it down. Sometime, around the third song of Jepsen's set, I started to notice the people kissing. One couple first, and then another, and then another. This continued for the remainder of the show. I never looked long, just a glance after nearby movement caught my eye. A couple directly in front of me occupying the small bit of wall that I was forced to occupy, began kissing each other passionately during warm blood while Jepsen held the microphone stand with both hands and whispered, I would throw in the towel for you, boy, because you lift me up and catch me when I'm falling, into the mic. The couple pushed back into me, one of them stepping on my shoes. They broke their embrace long enough for one of them to mouth the words, sorry, dude. I smiled and gave an understanding nod that was not seen as they were already falling back into each other. Wow, yes, thank you. It captures so well the experience you get listening to Carly Rae Jepsen. Carly Rae Jepsen is such an atypical pop star in a lot of ways, as you point out. She's kind of occupies this role of the best friend, the avatar of breathless excitement, a certain kind of awkwardness that you capture so well and that makes people feel uninhibited when they listen to her. Yeah, absolutely. So Hanif, with this introduction you've given us, I want to listen to a song that I think captures this quality, this almost embarrassing enthusiasm. And the song I'd like uh, us all to discuss is Cut to the Feeling. Let's start and just dive into the chorus of this Carly Rae Jepsen classic. My favorite part of the song. That pretty much says it all right there. <laughs> How's everyone feeling after listening to that? I think that song is really great because I think that song really encapsulates what she does well, where she kind of hones in on some kind of sonic shovel and digs out the, the, the emotion she's arcing for and then keeps hitting at it. I think that song is better than almost everything on the album itself, on the album Emotion, because that song wasn't on the that song was like a it was on the soundtrack for some movie that she was in. Right, yeah, 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 that's exactly right. Cut to the Feeling came out almost exactly a year ago to the day and was not part of her, her most recent album, Emotion, but was for a, an animated film called Ballerina, I think. I can't imagine any of us have seen it, but if the song's an indication, it must be uh, worth watching. And I love that, uh, excavating our emotions with a sonic shovel. <laughs> Let's try and better understand how she does that. I think it's all about setting up a contrast between verse and chorus where the verse is kind of impatient it's bridled it's contained and the chorus is like pure liberation and freedom and i think there's a lot of subtle ways that she creates this contrast so let's start in the world of the verse this more intense closed contained 
world. This is the world where lyrically she says, I had a dream or was it real? I've been denying how I feel. Let's just take a listen to the very beginning of the song. I had a dream or was it real? We crossed the line and it was Really frenetic. Yeah. In addition to that frenetic kind of rhythm that we that we hear, yeah. which my partner described as sounding like a middle school aerobics class, <laughs> the sense, I think, is reinforced by a very low melody. This melody is very low in her range, very hesitant almost. Let's isolate that melody and, and hear it kind of uh, in a vacuum. Not only is the melody in a pretty low range, but I think we have this sense of stasis and containment because underneath that melody, we have a harmony that doesn't do anything. It just sits there. We just have a single major chord that rings out for the entirety of the verse from beginning to end. I can approximate that just by throwing a big, low slug of an A underneath this whole thing. Okay, interesting. It gives her room to have a bit more of a little dancing vocal, even though it's in a low register by keeping things so harmonically simple. Uh, her melody is able to sort of dance around a bunch here. I hear that, but it's also like she's trapped. Maybe she can dance around, but this harmony isn't going anywhere. This rhythm isn't going anywhere. It's inescapable. (laughs) However, that all changes with this moment of transition where everything opens up as we move into the chorus. Carly Rae Jepsen sings, Take Me to the Stars. And this moment is like the moment of apotheosis. We go up and up and up in every sense. There's this wordless vocal that kind of acts as our ladder, our stairway to heaven, I guess. Every time we hear that wordless ah, 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 which I love in itself because it's almost like we've gone beyond words now. (laughs) We're just like reaching for something. And every time we hear that ah, ah, it's like our signal that we've change we've unleashed something we've like freed ourselves hmm. and i just isolated that ah 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 in case anyone needs it in their life just to have <laughs> that little sound effect to take them to their better place i love it that's like the trigger that just gets you there and then all of a sudden we're in a new place our harmony is moving all over the place our melody has shot up into a higher range and we're kind of rhythmically free we're not stuck in that same repeated syncopated rhythm let's listen again to the chorus of cut to the feeling now (laughs) 
And all of a sudden we're in this new place where I feel like our narrator is not afraid to state her desire. She's no longer dreaming or denying. She's okay mm. expressing everything she feels. Mm. Hopefully you're with me so far, Hanif. Does this maybe correspond to the feeling you got seeing her live? It does. So I think that... Um I think that the main function of the Carly Rae Jepsen song is the same as the function of her live show, which is that it is reaching towards a type of freedom, but it's a slow build towards that freedom. I'm interested in her music particularly because it feels like she presents a place where one has to kind of earn their joy or earn their catharsis. And I think this song builds to that, right? It's got that slow churning opening. Like this song doesn't really come alive until the chorus. Yeah. And then even after the chorus, it kind of goes back down. Um, right. Which is great, you know what I mean? Because you know that on the, other end of, uh, on the other end of that next verse is another chorus. Yeah, right. So peaks and valleys. And I like that she has to earn this sense of release. Once we do get to the chorus, it opens up in all these ways. Remember that, that melody from the verse? We can just refresh really quickly. Now that low melody has just shot up to a much higher place. Huh. Some nice text painting there, maybe like literally reaching for the ceiling for the stars. <laughs> and then also that that harmony we heard in the verse, which was just totally static, unmoving, kind of trapped. We can hear that one more time as well. In the chorus, the harmony is constantly shifting. There's this sense of movement and freedom. many nice contrasting details yeah totally in every way it's like hanif was describing you have to go low to to get high um <laughs> i'm not sure if that's exactly what i meant to say but hopefully you get the drift <laughs> i noticed in listening to that that there's a real balance to the melody where in the first part in the verse the melody is sort of bouncing around in the first half of it, in the second half, it just sort of declaratively lands on one note while underneath it, the harmony stays the same. And then it flips the script when it goes into the chorus. Everything flies up, and instead of moving around on her melody, she just sings a single note over and over and over again in the first half of the chorus. And by the time she gets to the second half of the chorus, then she starts to move around again. So it's almost like it's flipped the script. Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree. There's so much subtle musical activity happening here to kind of give you that sense of being trapped and then being released. And it's interesting, I think, in talking about this song and thinking of it as a song that kind of earns its joy, it's, I guess, technically a romantic song, but <laughs> doesn't really seem to be about a relationship in a lot of ways. It seems kind of more personal and introspective, I guess. Does that scan yeah but i also think that most of carly ray jepson's romantic songs are introspective and kind of singular they're not often the muse is not often that present in the song itself the muse is often vague and the muse is sometimes a actual emotion right so the muse is sometimes right. like 
desire or longing. Wow, that's really uh, borne out in the bridge of this song, which goes, take me to emotion, I want to go all the way. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's the whole thing. I want to step back for a second because I appreciate this uh, breakdown of the song, and, and you gave us such a great entry point, Hanif, but it's I have to ask you a question because in the larger context of your work, it seems maybe surprising that Carly Rae Jepsen would be a figure you're interested in. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about your musical fandom as you were growing up and how you came to appreciate someone like Carly Rae Jepsen. Uh, So my music fandom growing up was, yeah, I was really into pop music, but I was also into like hip hop and punk. I I think my fascination with Carly Rae Jepsen uh, is born out of this idea of trying to figure out how does one become a pop star while also not bowing to this idea of writing the perfect love story where at the end the person gets the person. Hmm. Within her music, she doesn't always achieve the romantic goal she's setting out for, and therefore the desire of it is the muse. And so she's chasing after this feeling of wanting, which I think is great. That's so interesting, right? That kind of puts her in a different sphere than a lot of other pop stars who I don't think can express that kind of desire or they have to be more knowing, more confident, more in control. I'm thinking of people from Taylor Swift to Beyonce. Whatever they're singing about, there's an an assuredness there. Carly Rae Jepsen doesn't necessarily have that. Yeah, no, I I think I like the fact that she is like a bit un comfortable in her own skin or writing towards the comfort in her own idea of what love can look like. And I think her uncertainty is what makes her endearing in a lot of ways. And I think her uncertainty is what makes her kind of touchable, but also what makes her probably unsellable as a big giant pop star. Interesting. Can you say more about that? I mean, it has to be said that we, you know, the pop machine demands more of women than men. Sure. One of those things is that they demand a type of certainty a certainty in something, be it their sexuality or their confidence or a certainty in this idea that they are, you know, they walk into a room and they're the center of attention. And I think Carly Rae Jepsen is telling that when she walks into a room, she feels as insecure as you or I might feel or a person down the street might feel. And it's hard to, it's, it, you can sell that to the person down the street, but you can't always sell that to the charts. Right. You refer to her indelibly at one point as your friend with two dance moves at her disposal, milking them so energetically to every beat that it becomes endearing until there is no such thing as a bad dancer or a good dancer, just a set of unchained limbs answering a higher calling. Seeing her live, I think the best part is seeing her dancing is maybe the most entertaining thing. She's a very confident bad dancer. (laughs) You have such diverse tastes. Your your book ranges from Migos to Johnny Cash, Carly Rae Jepsen to My Chemical Romance. I'm curious, do you think there's any commonality in the different music you gravitate towards? So I think I like gravitating towards music where the musician is um, trying to complicate ideas of their own mythologies, which is why I, you know, I'm very interested in Migos and Johnny Cash and why I could put them in the same sentence. Or there's an essay in there about the song Wipe Me Down, so I'm very fascinated with um, Boosie and like post-Katrina uh, Baton Rouge. Um, so I'm interested in artists who have mythologies that they are, whether they know it or not, working to unravel uh, and doing it in a very public way. 
and and so that is kind of my you know sometimes I think that I'm into music the music itself is secondary what the artist can put of themselves in the music is is what's most interesting that makes sense to me it's less about sound and more about this critique of their own mythology very cool I can't recommend this book enough they can't kill us until they kill us where can people find more of your writing Hanif so my writing is online in several places. Uh, I was a columnist at MTV News um, for about 18 months, so a lot of my work is there. I've written for The Fader, The New York Times, The New Yorker. Um, my website is abdurakib.com. It's just my last name.com. That's where the hub for a lot of my stuff is. Yes, go check out more of uh, Hanif's writing. I, I, I'd also recommend your profile of Julian Baker in uh, the recent New York Times uh, music magazine. That was an awesome piece. Before we go, though, Hanif, I was hoping you could take us out by reading the uh, the final paragraph of your Carly Rae Jepsen piece. Absolutely. It picks up uh, where I left off. I smiled and gave an understanding nod that was not seen as they were already falling back into each other. I considered how often there is shame attached to loving anyone publicly. The shame, of course, comes on a sliding scale depending on who you are and whom you love. How often I hear people complain about things like engagement photos or couples being tender with each other in public or someone who can't stop talking about a person they love. How I often first think of who may be watching before I lean in to give my partner a really good kiss in a crowded store. Here, that shame falls to dust. It is something beyond the smoke that lingers above our heads that does this. Turning a person's face to the face of someone they love and kissing the way we do in our homes with the curtains drawn. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hanif. Yeah, I just so appreciate you joining us. I absolutely loved your book. It got me thinking about music in new ways, so I'm excited to keep reading you. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Switched on Pop was produced by me, Charlie Harding. And me, Nate Sloan. Our editor and mix engineer is Bill Lance. Our designer is Luke Harris. And we are a proud member of the Panoply Network. And we are always looking to engage on the Facebook, on the Twitter. Reach out to us at Switched on Pop and let's continue the conversation. We'll be back again in two weeks with more episodes. And until then, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.